My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, we are starting a brand new sermon series, and uh, I'm excited to get into this. Uh, I've named this sermon series Rooted uh, because that seems to be the common theme that goes throughout the entire letter, is it's Paul reminding them to stay rooted. Rooted in what? Well, we're going to find out. Rooted in several different kinds of things. But as we always do, we never just rush into a book and we never just start reading verse 1 because we always need to know the what context. Good job, guys. Always need to know the context of what's going on. So anytime you're ever starting a Bible study on your own, if you're trying to figure out like, "Ah, I want to read through some scripture, make sure that you know the context of why it was written before you start to read it. I had a uh, conversation. We got to go to Washington, D.C., Uh, this past weekend for a conference. And uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but there is a Bible museum in Washington, D.C. Have you guys ever been? Anybody ever been to the Bible museum? Okay, pretty cool. Like we really enjoyed it. We stayed there, I don't know, like three or four hours. It was awesome. And uh, anyways, I had to pay for parking twice because I kept, you know, I had kept running out. So run back out and pay for more. But uh, but one, one thing that we did that I'm glad we did is we actually uh, did a tour package. So if you pay like 10 bucks, you'll have like this person that will give you a tour for like an hour and kind of hit the highlights. Well, the lady um, that was giving us the tour, okay, uh, she began talking about, you know, uh, all the stuff and talking about where the Bible came from and like the Old Testament, the New Testament. And the way that she was talking about it, I wondered what she really thought about, I wasn't sure. The way she was talking about it, I was like, I'm not sure if she's a Christian or not. Like she's talking about it and she's saying some good things, but I'm really not sure if she's a Christian or not. So after the whole tour is over, I'm the weirdo, okay? And I kind of walk over to her and I'm just like, hey, thanks so much. I'll wait till everybody kind of leaves. She's like, oh, you're welcome. She, I think she was probably in, probably her 60s if I had to guess. And uh, anyways, and so, um, you know, I went up to her and she was like, well, do you have any questions? And I was like, I do, but uh, this is going to be kind of a personal question. And she was like, okay. And I said, "Um, you know, after you've been working here, you know, so long, um, you know, and you give these tours, I just was curious, like, how has it affected your own faith? And I said, do you even have a faith? Like, are you, would you identify yourself as a Christian or, you know, I mean, you, you give these tours and stuff. What, what do you think? And she was like, well, that's a really good question. And she was like, are we off the record? I was like, we're off the record. She was like, okay, so I don't work for them right now. I was like, you don't work for them right now. Go ahead. What do you got? Um, and, uh, and she started to tell me, she goes, you know, it's really opened up uh, the box for me. And I was like, okay, what, <laughs> like, like, what, what does that mean? And she said, um, I'll just say, she said, I'll just say this. Uh, I think that, that it, it's not necessarily the inerrant word of God. Like, I don't think that it's, you know, like the word of God, there's just too many human hands that have touched it. 
And, uh, and I said, oh, really? And, and I said, um, so I said, then what do you think? And she was like, well, I just think that if you read it, however that makes you feel, whenever you read it is important. And you need to pay attention to whenever you read it, how it makes you feel. It might make me feel one way. It might make you feel another way. And she goes, but it also has expanded my box because now I can look into like some tenets of Buddhism. And if that helps me as a Christian, and I'll, I'll let her say Christian. Um, and she was like, if that helps me out as a Christian, then, you know, then that's going to help me. And, uh, and she was like, so that's kind of that's what I think. Um, but yeah, there's too many human hands. I really don't think that it's the word of God. Um, there's some good stuff in there though. And she goes, and, and I would say that I would be a, a Christian. And so, uh, and then, and then I was like, okay. And then I was like, hmm. And then she goes, what do you think? <laughs> I was like, thank you, Lord. I was like, that's the easiest transition ever. Um, and so I just said, you know, I, I agree with you. Like it has touched a whole lot of human hands. Um, but to me, that doesn't make it, that doesn't mean that I think that it isn't the word of God. I think that it just magnifies the sovereignty of God even more. That he could even use human hands to create his word. Like the way that he has preserved it over the years and the way that he's done it. And I said, I said, but one thing I would tell you to be careful of is I would tell you to be careful that once you remove the sovereignty of God from the Bible, then you've removed the authority completely from it. Like it no longer has authority. Because if it's not God's word, then it's just a bunch of stories that we don't know if they're really important. We don't know if they're really true. We don't know if they've really been made up or not. And I was like, so, so I said, and the interesting thing about reading the Bible, and, and because she talked a lot, she was like, she would walk you through like different eras and things like that of, of scripture and how people interpreted things differently, especially back... Um, you know, whenever slavery was a big deal in, in the United States. And she said, well, some people were using scripture to defend it while other people were using scripture against it. And she's like, so it's really just up to the interpreter. And, and, and so, and I was like, and you know, really, um, it, it's not about how it makes you feel. What you need to know is what is true about it. Like what is actually true about it? And so whenever people were using it to defend slavery, they were obviously not looking at the whole context of scripture. They were using it to just isolate certain things to get what they want. And I said, and that's what we do with the Bible a lot is we'll just take certain things. And I said, so I'm not really concerned about how it makes me feel. I want to know like what is true because to me personally, I want to conform my feelings to what is true. I don't want to determine my truth based off of how I feel. Because my feelings can really mess with me. My feelings can really mess some things up. Anyways, and I just, I just said, you know, thanks again for the tour. I said, um, but, uh, but just be careful because you've removed all truth. Like, I mean, do we even know that Jesus died on the cross then? Do we even know that what he said is really what he said? Because you've just removed all authority from it. And she, you know, she thanked me and, and we kind of went our own way. But I say all of that because, you know, as we begin this study and as you guys begin personal studies within scripture and you read scripture, a lot of people approach the Bible like she does. How does it make me feel? They'll read a scripture and they'll say, how does this make me feel? Well, that's not the question that we need to ask. Like, I don't want to start in Colossians. I don't want to start in any 
book of the Bible that we read and ask the first question, how does that make us feel? How We're going to look to see how this makes us feel because honestly, how we feel doesn't matter. We want to know what is true. And that's why context is such a big deal. And I talk about it all of the time because I don't ever want you guys to go blindly into a book of the Bible without knowing what the context was to which it was written because you can pull out any kind of application you want. If you don't know the context of things, you can make it say anything that you want. And people do that. People do it all the time. But we got to be careful with that. So what's the, what's the context of the book of Colossians? So Colossians, we just finished Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians are pretty closely related because Paul wrote them around the same time. He also wrote the book of Philemon or Philemon or Phil, Phil, what did we say? Philemon or Philemon. The, the jury's out on that one, by the way. Um, but he also wrote that one as well at the same time. And then he sent a guy, remember uh, who he sent? Let's, let's quiz you guys real quick. At the end of Ephesians, who did he say was coming with, uh, with the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus? Remember his name? It starts with a T. Not Titus. It's tough. It's tough. It's Tychicus right? That's who had it. He was going to go and he, so Tychicus is right there with Paul. Okay. Paul's like, let's, you know, Paul and Timothy are like, all right, let's, let's write Ephesians together. They wrote it. And then they're like, okay, let's also write to Colossians as well. Why? Why did they write to Colossians? Because there was a guy by the name of Epaphras that was there with Paul in that moment. Who in the world is Epaphras? This is kind of cool, actually. So, you know, whenever Paul went on his church planting journey, which, by the way, he is a stud at church planting. The guy is awesome. He plants this um, church, you know, in Ephesus. And while he's there in Acts chapter 19, there's a guy from Colossae, all right, which go ahead and show this um, map real quick so that I can show kind of people where it is. Um, this is actually you know, Paul's second missionary journey, but I have it up here for you guys. So you see Asia right here in red. Right over there on the left-hand side on the, uh, the west coast is Ephesus. Well, if you follow it to the right, you've got Laodicea and Hierapolis, and then right there at the bottom kind of under them is Colossae. You see that? You guys see where it's at? Okay, so you know where Ephesus is. Well, Paul is there, and, uh, and, and you know, the church has started. He's, he's discipling people there. He's sharing the gospel with people there. And what's interesting is that there is a trade route that connects Ephesus, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. There's a trade route, a really big time trade route that people would travel. And so those places were often highly populated and they were also very transient. People were walking through. Well, a guy named Epaphras from Colossae, just was heading over to Ephesus, found himself in Ephesus. We don't know why he was in Ephesus, but he was there at the same time that Paul was there. The guy was not a Christian, okay? He's a Greek guy, and he's, he's shows up in Ephesus, runs into Paul somewhere. I don't know where exactly, but he runs into Paul somewhere, hears the gospel, ends up getting saved, and then ends up being discipled. So we don't know what for what period of time, but Epaphras ends up going back home. Well, what's he going to take home with him? The gospel. The gospel that's just changed his entire life. And so he shows up back home, and he basically starts sharing the gospel with all these people. And then they're sharing the gospel with some other people. And before you know it, there's a church there in Colossae. 
And so a little bit, a little bit later, okay, Epaphras is, you know, there. He finds out that um, Paul is actually in prison now in Rome, which is off the map that way. So he's in prison now in Rome, and Epaphras, for whatever reason, we don't know why, he wants to go and he wants to visit Paul. We're not sure if he just wants some advice. We're not sure if he wants some encouragement. We're not sure if he's just a really big encourager and he wants to go hang out with Paul while Paul's in prison because Timothy's there, Tychicus is there. Everybody's kind of going and taking care of Paul. Maybe Epaphras is like, I'm going to go take care of Paul as well. And anyways, he ends up in Rome while Paul is in prison and writing these letters. And, uh, and while he's there, he, for whatever reason, starts talking about the church in Colossae. And he starts saying things like, you know, I'm really kind of worried about, this is kind of how it works out in my mind, because he ends up giving the information to Paul, because Paul ends up deciding that it's enough information that I want to write them a letter. But Paul, you know, he's like, you know, uh, he kind of ends up talking to them, maybe about, we kind of speculate what some things he told him were because of what the letter was about. We don't really know exactly what he said, but we can pretty much assume some things that he said based on a reply that Paul wrote and, you know, to the church there. But I think Epaphras, I don't know if he was the, the pastor there, if he was maybe just an elder there, a leader there. Not really sure. We know that he's very much involved in the church there. We know that he was instrumental in starting the church there. But he finds himself in Rome talking to Paul and he's concerned about the church, not because this isn't like a, a Galatians thing, okay? Like you remember Galatians, like Paul lights them up from the very beginning of the book. He's like, hey, it's me, Paul. What the heck are you guys doing? Like that's how Paul begins Galatians, all right? Well, that's not how Paul begins this letter because they're not doing so bad. Like whatever it is that Epaphras ends up telling Paul, it's not like, it's not like, oh, I cannot believe they're so fast. Like Paul's never even met these people. He's never even been to the church in Colossae. Like they have no, they know who he is, but he's never been there. So, uh, but we know that, that Epaphras is just a little bit kind of worried about him. And it, we kind of see his heart in the last chapter, chapter four, um, because I want you guys to, to see just kind of his heart about, about the church. He's worried about them, and we'll talk about why. But it says this in chapter 4, verse 12. I think I have it. This should be the next thing. Yes, you got it. It says this, um, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. It's like, hey, he tells you guys hi. He always prays earnestly for you. He's like, you guys need to know about this guy. Because he's always praying for you. And you know what he's asking? He's asking God to make you strong. And he's asking God to make you perfect. Fully confident is what he's asking God to make you. That you are following the whole will of God. He says, I can assure you, he prays hard for you. And also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis as well. He ends up saying at the end, like, hey, be sure and share this with them. Um, this letter with them as well, Hierapolis and, and Laodicea. But he's like, he's like, I want you to know that Epaphras wants so much for you guys. He wants you guys to be doing so well. And so he's come to me and he's kind of talked to me about some pressures that they're feeling in Colossae. Not things that have taken them away from God. They're not in some kind of like, you know, sinful place right now and walking away from their faith. It's just some pressures that are coming from the outside world. We know that there are pressures because of some things he says in chapter two, there are some pressures coming from just the world in general. And then there are some pressures that are coming upon them based off of, he talks, talks a little bit about the law and circumcision. So there might've been some Jewish pressure as well to follow the law. 
So there could have been some of that as well. But no matter what, we know that there were some pressures from the outside. Uh, and I want you to see this scripture in chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, this is something that he tells them in chapter 2. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So he's like, hey, I want to write to you because there are some people all around you that come up with empty philosophies, some high-sounding nonsense. You know, you know it. Like, you know what we're talking about because we live in a similar era. In fact, every era is a similar era. No matter what happens, you've got people who are like, this is the gospel. And you've got other people who are like, actually, from my um, prestigious self, I think that actually, if you do this and then all this philosophical nonsense, ideologies, they're like, this is what makes sense to me. All it is is a bunch of human wisdom. But what happens to us though? Because remember, we're on a narrow path. Remember we talked about that last week and everybody else is on a broad path. So there are few people that we find that actually are talking about the truth that we know. And there are a ton of people who are talking about their higher way of thinking, absent from God and all these other kinds of things. So what happens? There's a pressure that we all face. There's a pressure that they faced to listen to those voices, because there's so many of them, rather than the voice of God, rather than the way that they've been taught, the way that they knew. And Paul knows that there's a very real reality that faces believers whenever you're feeling so much pressure from the outside world. How many of you guys have ever just felt like you're on an island as a Christian, like in your environment, you know? You're like, man, I just like, sometimes we can't wait to get to church just because we can hang out with other Christians. You know, it's like, I just, I just need some fellowship. Like I just need to hang out with some people who are like-minded so that I know that I'm not crazy so that other people can feed into me and I can feed into them. Right? Well, that's kind of what, it, what we're kind of looking at here is he knows that there's all this pressure coming from the outside world. And so Epaphras is like, ah, like I, I, again, I don't know if he was the pastor, but I kind of picture him as a guy who is just like, I love these people. I want them to stay strong in the Lord. And so, Paul, can you just write them a little bit? Because there's so much pressure from the outside world to get them off of that path, to get them to where the Galatians ended up, right? Leaving the faith that they loved so well. And, uh, and so I just kind of picture him going, hey, can you just write them just a little bit of a letter? And guys, I think that Similarly, like I said, we face these pressures as well. So I know this letter was written specifically to them, but guys, it's for us as well. It's for us. And I think that it's more for us in New York than anybody else in the South. Okay? Like I know they got their own issues, but guys, I used to live there. Like Colossians was less important to me whenever I lived there because the pressures that I felt there are nothing like the pressures that I feel in New York nothing like them. I never felt like I was on an island as a believer. Like I felt like that we were on the continent, you know, and everybody else around you is kind of, is kind of like-minded. Again, I say this all the time, like in the South, you can yell out, God is good. Somebody, 
Somebody, I, you can go to Walmart, all right? We had Walmart, man, praise God for Walmart. I don't have that anymore, but you know, it's, 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 it's a land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> I didn't used to think that until we moved here. But you could walk into Walmart and you could say something like, God is good. I promise you in the South, somebody's going to say all the time. Like, I promise somebody would say that. Somebody would shout that back. Here, you're like, God is good. And people are like, shut up. <laughs> right? Guys, we can feel like that sometimes. We can feel like that sometimes. And so this book, guys, this is for us. Yeah, it's going to apply to the people in the South too, but this is more for us, all right? Us up here who feel like sometimes we got so much pressure coming from the outside world. And so as you guys know this, like they're a good church. Don't get me wrong. They're a good church, all right? So it's not going to be one of those letters where you're just like, oh, Paul is just lighting into them all the time. No, they're doing okay, but the pressure's from the outside can cause them to go a different way. So let this be a letter to us as well. The overall message, like I said, um, throughout this book is uh, to stay rooted, stay rooted. And we're gonna find out through the letter what we need to be stay root, staying rooted in. Today, we're gonna look at a few things that we need to stay rooted in. And guys, I just wanna say, we live in a world where no one is rooted in anything. No one is rooted in anything. Like that's the thing today is to just go your own way, do whatever it is that you want to do. You might try to plant roots here, but as soon as you get uncomfortable, you can take them up, go plant roots somewhere else. Take them up, go plant roots. This isn't working. This isn't working. This isn't working. And the world just kind of goes their own way. Guys, that is a chaotic way to live life where there is no solid foundation to which you belong, that's a chaotic way to live life. We have to, if we're going to have any sanity in, at all in our minds, is, is as human beings, we need to be rooted in something. And we don't need to be rooted shallowly in something. We need to be rooted deeply in something. And God provides that for us. He provides us a place to be deeply rooted. Why? Because whenever you're deeply rooted... And these things come your way, these pressures from the outside world, the deeper your roots are, the firmer you're going to stand. The less likely you're going to be picked up and thrown, right? So we've got we've to have those deep roots. Uh, so here we go. Verse 1 and 2, as you guys heard the introduction to the letter, it was quite pleasant. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. Who's Timothy? Timothy's Paul's child in the faith, right? His son in the faith. Uh, and he's being uh, discipled by Paul. Where, by the way, where does Timothy end up becoming the pastor? Anybody know? How many of you were going to say Ephesus, but you were a little bit scared? Okay, yeah, you're like, I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, that's where he ends up, all right? Ends up writing him a whole couple of letters, First and Second Timothy. So in and then verse 2, he says, We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. Hey, church, this is for you. you. You believers in Colossae, he says this, Who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, it's so good to hear about faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, May God our Father give you grace and peace. I love that word that he calls them faithful because that's the same word used to describe Abraham's righteousness. 
So he's not just like, oh, you guys are continuing to do the right thing. No, he's like, you guys have a saving faith. Those of you who, who have a saving faith. Remember what the Bible says about Abraham? That he believed God. He had faith in God. He faithed God. He trusted God. And it was accredited to him what? Righteousness. So Abraham was considered a righteous person because of his faith. That's what he's saying to them right here. You who are righteous, you who are truly saved. He says, he says, uh, he goes on and, uh, and he says, we always pray for you. We always pray for you. Now, now you would think that faithful people like, right, they wouldn't need a letter. You would think that like people who are doing really well wouldn't really need to be prayed for. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you ever, somebody's like, dude, I'm doing awesome. And then you just go, I will be praying for you. You don't really think about that. It's only whenever somebody's kind of going through something that you're like, oh, well, I'll be praying for you, right? Guys, I don't know about you, but in the moments of strength, in the moments of things going really, really well, yo, that might be the time we need more prayer. <laughs> because who knows what's just kind of coming around the corner. And that's the mindset that Paul had. He's like, you guys are doing awesome. I'm praying for you. Why? To continue to do awesome. So that you'll remain faithful is why he's wanting to pray for them. Remember, he says he, earlier, whenever he said, you know, you can be captured with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather from Christ. Guys, that's around the corner. You're doing well spiritually right now? I hope. I hope that you're doing well spiritually right now. If, if not, maybe there's a moment in your life where you were doing well spiritually. But think about that for a second. How, how easy is that for us to get captured with empty philosophies? We're doing good. Oh, but we got captured with an empty philosophy or a high-sounding nonsense that came from human thinking and, and spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And then we end up listening to that and going our own way. And then we end up not doing so well. And now we need prayer for a different reason. It's because we're in the I'm not doing well category now, and I need people to pray. So he's like, before you even get there, I want, to, I want you to know I pray for you. In verse 3 through 5, he says, we always pray for you. And, uh, and, and how? All right. How, how can you pray for those people that are doing well spiritually? All right. Here's a couple. Number one, gratitude. Number two, growth. And number three, guts. They need to all start with the same letter because it'll help you remember it better. Guts was a bit of a stretch. You'll see what I'm saying, though, in a minute, okay? So this is what he prays for them. That's what we're going to talk about today. He prays for gratitude, growth, and guts, all right? So first of all, these people who are doing well, first of all, he prays prayers of gratitude. It says this, and we give thanks to who? God, right? They're, they're thanking God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. So first of all, you've got gratitude. What, are we, what prayer of gratitude can we pray over someone? Well, we can pray, I give thanks to God for what he's done in your life. I give thanks to God for what he's done in your life. I don't know, I don't like calling people out, um, but uh, one person I pray this for 
is Demario back here. I praise God for what he's doing in your life. It's cool to see that. Like, it's awesome to see somebody excited about the Lord. And that's one thing that I can pray. And it's, again, that's not the moment to let up, right? No, that's, that's something I need to pray. Praise God. Thank you for the work that you are doing in whoever's life, whoever it is that you're praying for. Thank, thank God for their faith in God. Because who's responsible for their faith in God? God is. So you can thank God for their faith in him and their trust in him that led them to salvation. Thank you, God, for saving that person. Thank you for the faith that they have that is credited to them as righteousness. And then Paul gets specific. He thanks God for their love for the saints. Who are the saints? Not the New Orleans saints. Their love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Anybody else who has faith. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? In verse 8, he says, and I don't have it right here, but we'll look at it in a second. He says, he has told us about, he's talking about Epaphras. He's like, Epaphras has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. He's like, man, I, I'm praising God for the Holy Spirit in your life and the love that he has given you for all of the saints. Like you treat each other so well. You love each other in a really, really great way. Love is again a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And there are many other fruits. It's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. You can throw it up there real quick just to remind us. It tells us, right, that love is a fruit of the Spirit. But also says, what else is? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if, what if we pray, what if we thanked God, like, what do you see? Think about, think about a fellow brother or sister in Christ. What do you, what of those do you see in their life? Maybe you see the love that they have for the saints. Maybe you see the joy that they have in their life or the peace or the patience that they have or the kindness or the goodness or the faithfulness. Maybe you see that they're gentle or maybe you see that they're just very good at self-control. What if, what if we thanked God for that? I mean, Paul could have easily had said that as well. I think he prayed specifically for the love that they had for the saints. Whenever you're praying for somebody else, maybe pick out a fruit that you notice in them that they're doing really well. And by the way, whenever, whenever you do pray for someone like this, don't just hold that in. Shoot him a text. Hey, I want you to know I'm grateful for the faith that you have in Christ. I also want you to know that I'm grateful for the patience that you show. You're a school teacher. <laughs> I'm grateful for the patience that you show, right? I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the kindness. Every, every time you're around someone, you just are so kind. You're always treating everybody else just in a way that, 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 You'd want to be treated. Like, I just noticed that in you. Maybe shoot somebody a text, you know? I also want to point out, though, real quick, what the Bible says about where their faith and love comes from. Yes, their love comes from the Holy Spirit, which he says in 8. But this is interesting because it's not just from, well, it's from the Holy Spirit. That's the root of it. But what is the Holy Spirit using to produce love and faith in that person's life. It's very interesting what he says, because it says this, if you go back to that verse, um, we always pray for you and give thanks to God. Go up one more, Eli, the or the next one that's on there. 
We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from what? Your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. The hope of what? The hope of heaven. Why, why is their faith sustaining? Because they hope in heaven. Why are they so good at loving their brother or sister in Christ? Because of their hope in heaven. What? That, I don't know about you guys, but that's weird to me kind of because I don't, I don't ever think about that that way. But I should. And you know what that tells me? I don't think about heaven like I should. I don't think enough about heaven like I should because there's a hope that God has given us that I rarely think about that can change my life. But why don't I think about it very much? I think it's because I'm in the here and now and heaven seems like it's kind of far away. When in reality, it could be whenever, right? Eternity could be whenever. But I think it's because I'm like, you know, I'm only 42 right? Although I should take that into it because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm 42, right? Like that's something I should be thinking about. But the thing is, is I just think maybe because it's kind of far away. And, and whenever you don't think about heaven, you don't, there's a joy that is supposed to be in your heart whenever you think about the reward that God is, has for you at the end of life. And when we don't think about that reward, we're robbing ourselves of the joy of being able to think about it. Are you guys aware that like um, that the happiest time of year in the world is Christmas season? It is. There's this, oh, she's looking up Christmas season. Shh. Here's the thing about Christmas. You guys ever heard of something called uh, um, Christmas cheer? You know, like we hear that all the time. We hear about this Christmas cheer. Well, you think about it, and I, I understand that there are, there are some people, some people are like, actually Christmas is a really difficult time. Like there are, there are, for some people there is that, but for the large majority, Christmas is the number one happiest holiday. And leading up to Christmas, people have what's called Christmas cheer. And, and people have actually done research on this. Like people need more, they need to do something with their lives, but they're doing, they're like, you know what? Let's figure out Christmas cheer. That sounds good. Let's throw money at that. That sounds good too, right? So they're figuring out Christmas cheer, which I mean, it's fine because I can use it for my sermon today, I guess. But they've done this research and they figured out that they're like, why? Like why Christmas? Like why is that? Well, it doesn't take a whole lot of research to figure that out because whenever Christmas comes around, what happens? Well, you're looking at vacation, right? You might be looking at going to see family. For some people, that's a good thing. You might be looking at going to, I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, all kinds of like really fun things that happen around that time. Like you think about like gift giving. You think, I mean, and I understand that. And it's so funny because even, even though we're like we're super stressed out during Christmas time, it's still the happiest time of the year. Even though we're like, I haven't done my Christmas shopping yet. Like I got to get all this done. Like people are still like at the end of it all, they're like, I was so stressed out, but it was awesome. And, and every time Christmas comes around, do you know, that's why people start decorating early for Christmas is because they just want to get to the Christmas cheer part of things because of how it makes them feel. People want to start doing those kinds of things. Why? Because they have something to look forward to. Well, can I just share with you guys 
that the Lord has given us something to look forward to that is way better than just Christmas. Like he's given us, I mean, Christmas happens once a year. And for the sane people, it happens for a month. For the insane people, it happens for probably three, right? They just skip over Halloween and Thanksgiving and they just do like Christmas, right? I'm one of those people. But like, maybe that much time. Do you guys ever think about how short life is compared to how long eternity is? Guys, this, the Bible says that our life is but a vapor compared to eternity. Do you know what's waiting for us on the other side? And you might be sitting here and you might be going, well, I know a little bit about it. Because think about that for a second. Like, have you ever, have you ever, God doesn't really say a whole lot about what heaven's going to be like. We know some things. And I think we know enough to make it produce a joy in our life. I think we know enough. Here's, here's why I think he doesn't tell us a whole lot about heaven. I think number one, our brains couldn't comprehend it. I think number two, because if we knew everything there was to know about heaven, how many of you guys want to stay here? No, we wouldn't want to, we, we would just be useless because we'd be thinking about what's coming for eternity. We'd be like, ah, but we got things to do here. Like the Lord has called us to some stuff here. And so we got to do some stuff here. And I think if we knew about heaven, like God knew about heaven, we'd be like, oh, I can't wait to get there. Like our minds would be so preoccupied. It would consume our thoughts. We'd be obsessed with it, I think. But here's some things I do want us to think about because I want us, I want us to have this hope, this confident hope of what God has reserved for us in heaven. I want to just think about it together for a second. We, we talked a little bit about it in growth groups uh, this past Wednesday, but, but just think about this for just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says this, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Eli, that's the next scripture. Boom, right there. That's it. Like, look at what he's saying about heaven. That's what he's saying. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has been. You can't even imagine what God has prepared for you. Like you're going to try, and we usually do a terrible job. Why in the world on TV do they have like, like little angels with harps on clouds? That's dumb. Why do they, why they think? Like that's what you're going to think of? Like that's what you think heaven's going to be like? No, like we can't, even, we can't even imagine it. And I mentioned this in our guys group on Wednesday night. Like you have these books where people are like, I died and I went to heaven and now I'm coming back to tell you about it. Here's the problem I have with these books. I can imagine everything they said. I can, I can imagine everything they said. Guys, I, the scripture says no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What else? What else is, is heaven going to be like? Because we do get a taste. Number one, companionship with God. Companionship with God. That's going to be what we have in heaven. The Bible says we will dwell with him and see the Lord face to face, there will be no sun or moon. Why? Because the glory of the Lord will be the provision of light. Did you know that? The Bible says that there will be no sun, there will be no moon. Why? Because we don't need it because the glory of God is all the light that we will ever need. 
Like we get to, we get to go be with that. We're going to get to go be a companion in a companionship with God. That's amazing. Number two, we're going to understand God to a greater degree, and we will worship him with purity of heart and utmost passion. Guys, like we have scripture to get to know God better. He's given us that scripture so that we can get to know him better. We don't know anything. Even if we knew the entire Bible, we don't know anything about really truly who God is. I mean, think about all of the things that we can think of and how awesome we think that God is now. Multiply that exponentially and that's what we're gonna think about God whenever we finally have clarity of mind and clarity of understanding to understand God to a greater degree. Number three, there's gonna be no evil whatsoever. You're not gonna have to lock your doors. Like you're, not gonna to, you're not gonna have to think about any of that kind of stuff because there's going to be no evil. Picture your favorite place on earth. Where's your favorite place on earth? Just think about that for a second. And then take away anything unpleasant. Take away anything uncomfortable about it. Take away any fear, any stress, any anxiety, any sadness, any worries of life. You, you don't even have to think about, oh, we're about to have to go back. That's sometimes the worst part about vacation, right? Whenever you go to your like happy place and you're like, I'm here. You're like, you really can't even hardly enjoy it because you're like, oh, I gotta go back. <laughs> like at some point, right? You ain't gotta go back. You're gonna be there. You're gonna be there forever. There is no sickness. Number four, there's no sickness. There's no crying or pain. Instead, you're going to experience perfect health. Hello. Joy and pleasures forevermore. When I was a teenager, that perfect health part wasn't a big deal. Now that I'm 42, please, Lord right? But all the joy we can have and all the pleasures we can have forever. Number five, the book of Hebrews gives us a picture of others that will be there. I call them Bible celebrities. But we're not thinking of them like we think about celebrities on earth, all right? Like these guys are going to be there. These, I don't know who you want to have a conversation with, but I cannot wait. These giants of the faith, the ones that you've seen in scripture and ones you've never heard of. Ones you've never even heard of, you're going to get to go meet them. Maybe somebody's going to walk up to you and go, you are a celebrity in the faith to me because let me tell you how God used you in my life. Maybe, maybe, but it's going to be really cool because you're going to be able to go up to them. And you know how people say, don't ever meet your celebrities. You're like your favorite celebrity, don't ever meet them. Why? Because they'll disappoint you, right? They're going to disappoint you. Why? Because they're a fallen person. They're a sinful person. Like, can you imagine? We're going to get to go. We're going to get to meet these, these big time people and they're going to be sinless and you're going to be sinless. I mean, can you imagine that kind of interaction? I can't. My mind can't comprehend it. Like my brain literally cannot comprehend that. It's going to be amazing. And so six, you are going to be absent from every ounce of sin. You won't be all knowing, but your mind will have the same clarity and sobriety that Jesus had. Why did Jesus never sin? while he was on earth, because he had such a clarity of mind. He had such a sobriety about his mind and about what sin was. We're going to have that. I can't even imagine it. Can you imagine a life with no jealousy? Nah, right? Can't, my brain can't even comprehend it. No jealousy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine yourself with no rivalry towards other people? No selfishness, no pride, no greed, no stress, no anxiety, no worry, no consequences, no struggle. Guys, I want to be there. 
I want to go there. And we don't even know an ounce of what it's going to be like. The Bible gives us imagery like mansions, Jesus preparing a place for us, streets of gold and other beautiful things. That's number seven, beauty beyond imagination. That's number seven, beauty beyond imagination. <laughs> that's going to be amazing, guys. We're going to, we're also, here's, here's something that's intriguing to me, and I don't know what it's all about, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 through 4, Paul talks about that he got to actually go see heaven. He actually got to be there. And this is what he says. He says, but I do know, he's like, I don't know if I was there in my body or if God just gave me a vision. He goes, I'm not sure what happened, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise in another translation, it says the third heaven. He's talking about like with God, where God dwells. He was like, God, let me see that. And he says, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. You want to talk about got me on the edge of my seat. What is that? Like, I don't know, but I know I want to be there. Like that's what, I mean, what Paul saw led to the reason the way he lived the way he lived. Like he had that hope for the future, that confident hope. And, I, and sometimes I'm like, God, please just let me see. I want to see a little bit of that. Like that would be awesome. But hey, we don't get to right now and that's okay. But what we do know, what we do know about heaven is enough to, help, to, to make us hope for it. To make us want that reward uh, that is ahead of us, a confident hope in what God has reserved for us in heaven. They had that hope is what he was saying. Guys, we need to have that hope. How often do you think about what we have ahead of us? What we have as a reward of head, ahead of us? Is it supposed to bring us a joy in our hearts? It's supposed to bring us a faith. It's supposed to keep us faithful. It's supposed to help us to love other people. It's what the Holy Spirit uses in our lives to accomplish that. And then in verse six through eight, he says this, the same good news. He's talking about the, that good news that they put their faith and trust in. The same good news that came to you, guess what? It's going out all over the world. They didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. They didn't know how far the reaches of the gospel had gone. He's telling them now, he's like, guys, I'm telling you right now, you're a part of something amazing. It's going out all over the world. Can I tell you guys something? We, at our conference this past um, weekend, uh, there was a speaker and he was talking and he said, did you know that right now there are more people coming to faith in Christ than ever in the history of humanity in the world? I know we, we're here and we're like, what? Are you sure about that? It is. A lot of times it can't be reported where it's going on. But there's revival breaking out all over the world. Man, I, I wish it would happen here. But guys, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of this moment in time where people are coming to faith in Christ more than any other time in history. We're alive during this. I just think that's kind of cool. Why, why, why us, God? Why am, I, why am I here for that? He says, uh, he says, um, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. We read that earlier. And then he goes to verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Remember the first thing they prayed? These other ones are really quick. We stayed on that one longer than these other two. So don't freak out on me. All right. Be like, you don't have time for two more. Yeah, we do. We're good. 
Remember the first thing they prayed was gratitude. What's the second thing? Growth. He says this, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays for them two things. Number one, complete knowledge of God's will. Number two, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Where does complete knowledge of God's will come from? Well, it comes for them in the same place that it comes for us. Almost. We just get a little bit more. Let me explain. Remember, remember Romans chapter 12, verse 2, whenever we were going through it, what did it say? It says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what? What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So how do we know the will of God? Well, it happens as we are experiencing transformation by the constant renewal of our minds. That's how we can know the will of God. That's what he was praying for them. And how are we transformed and renewed in the mind? The word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what transforms our mind. That's how we know the will of God is because we're reading the word of God and we know the truth of Jesus Christ and that transforms our mind. It renews our mind and we're able to discern what is the will of God. And remember what he prayed for them. He says, we ask, to give you, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. How are you gonna get knowledge of his will? The word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. That's how you're going to get that. So, and then he says, number two, he says also spiritual wisdom and understanding. All this is, all right, is the Holy Spirit showing you what to do with the knowledge you have gained of God's will. Like as you're reading the scriptures and you're gaining knowledge of the will of God, spiritual wisdom and understanding, all that is, is what's the application so he's like, I want you to understand the will of God, and I want you to understand how to apply it. I want you to understand how to be obedient to it. That's another thing that we can pray for one another, even whenever we're doing well, because raise your hand if you could use a little more knowledge of the will of God in your life. Well, let's pray that for each other. How many of you guys could use a little bit more spiritual wisdom and understanding as far as what to do with what you read? Yeah. We all can. So let's, let's be praying that. Don't just pray whenever our back is... Oh, no, I didn't mean to use that. I'm sorry. I, that was just a <laughs> general thing, I promise. Let me think of something more general. Don't just pray whenever you have a sore foot, all right? Like, that's not the only time that we, that we pray for each other. Like, man, we pray, we pray for backs, but we also pray whenever things are going well. Like, praise God, Savannah's doing well, all right? We don't have to pray for her back anymore. Praise God. So that means what? She's doing perfect now, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. But, but you're like, I, I've stopped praying for Savannah. Don't stop praying for Savannah. Pray, pray for the knowledge of the will of God in your life. Pray for the spiritual wisdom and understanding in your life. Man, don't, don't stop praying for one another just because, you know, that prayer request is done and gone and over. We, there are always prayer requests as we're seeing right here. And, uh, and so he's like, I, I pray that you continue to, to, to learn that and to know that. Because why? Look what he says next. He says, then the way you live, once you understand the will of God and you know what to do with it, you're going to live, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. In the, in the um, ESV, it says, then you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We talked about that whenever we were going through Ephesians. He says, and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. I want that for my life, guys. 
I want the, I want the good fruit to be produced in my life. Well, how does that happen? When I, when I understand the knowledge of the will of God and I know what to do with it, it's going to produce that fruit in my life. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Man, do we want that for each other? Do we want that for our own lives? And then finally, he prays one last thing for them. It starts with a G. What is it? Guts. All right. What do I mean by that? Look at 11. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. He said something similar to that in Ephesians. And it was, he said that power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says, so you will have all the what? Endurance and patience you need. For what? To live out the calling God has placed on your life. That's why I said guts. So that you'll have the guts to do what God has called you to do. What has God called you to do? For Paul, he was an apostle. He was a church planter. You know what he needed? Endurance and patience. Me, God's called me to pastor this church. He's called me to plant this church. What do I need? Please. I need some endurance and I need some patience. Like pray for me in that. You guys, what has the Lord called you to do? Maybe he hasn't called you to be a specific apostle. Maybe he hasn't called you to be a pastor or a church planter. But what has he called you individually to do? I'm going to guess that whatever it is that you're doing, you could use some endurance and patience. Even, even not vocationally. Even the other things that he's called us to do, that we have in common with each other. To be the person that we need to be for our family. To be the person that we need to be for our coworkers, to live the life in front of them that will speak to their hearts, to be an ambassador for the gospel, and to go to those currently who have no hope for eternity. You know what I need to live that out? I need endurance and patience. I need those things. I need endurance and patience in my life to be able to do what God has called me to do. And do you know where all of this leads? It leads to a life of gratitude and growth and guts. It's a life under grace. Another G. That's what it is. And look at the rest of the verse. Because I love, what he, I love where he concludes with this. He's like, once you have the, the gratitude and, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, once you have the faith and you love other people. And then also whenever you're growing in him and you're developing patience and endurance in your life. He says, may you be filled with what? Joy. May you be filled with joy. You know, you're going to be filled with joy. You're going to be filled with joy whenever you think about what's coming after this life. Whenever you're growing in your knowledge of the will of God, whenever you're knowing what to do with the knowledge and you're following in obedience and whenever you've, you're, you have endurance and whenever your patience is, is doing well, guys, that all leads to joy because think about the opposite of all those things. Well, that leads to the opposite of joy. So of course, this is going to lead to joy. And then he finishes out. He says, always thanking the Father. May you be filled with joy and having a thankful heart because of what he's giving you, right? Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. That's another reason to thank the Father. So what we spent time praying about earlier today. Inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us. Man, if there isn't a 
amen after this verse. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Praise God. Praise God for that. So, our takeaway from today, be rooted, all right? Be rooted in Christ, through whom you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Be rooted in the Holy Spirit, who is revealing the truths of God to you, who's developing fruit in your life. Be rooted in the word. Be rooted in obedience to scripture. Be rooted in your future hope of eternity in heaven. Be rooted. Be rooted. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.